you're back with us again. This is about buildings and cities. This is about buildings and cities. I think we didn't say that at the beginning no, of the last video. I, oh my shall, god! Shall I look at the camera? Yeah. I, I, I yeah, look so, at you normally, yeah, yeah, or yeah, gaze off autistically <laughs> into specs and yeah. go, "Hello, Hello. I'm George Angel. <laughs> I'm Luke Jones. Yeah, this is uh, this is about buildings I'm not and carry cities. On doing yeah. that. It feels no. really unnatural. <laughs> no. Uh, we just spoke about the Quirini Stampalia Museum, and we're going to talk about the Castle Vecchio Museum, which is the other, like, super famous. Uh, museum project in the Scarpa Canon. Yeah, I had heard of two projects before. I wasn't told about Carlo Scarpa at all. I'd sort of seen photographs in my education, but mm. he didn't come up. Interesting. Which is funny because um, very on brand. Yeah. I think people thought he was a bit. A bit suspect, uh, a bit suspect. decorative. Yeah. A bit suspect. I had, is... I had quite an austere. Yeah, uh, architectural education. People like... do find him suspect for various various reasons. His motives are not necessarily pure, or his uh, yeah. Yeah, it's all all nonsense. That's <laughs> uh... Yeah, uh, the 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 Castel Vecchio. Just to give you a bit of context, is a museum in Verona. Um, it's Scarpa's longest in run. In Verona. In Fair Verona, yes. Um, there's a good video. There's a good little f um, photo actually, um, which we could probably dig out from somewhere, uh, of the renovation that was done before this one in the twenties. And in the foreground, coincidentally piled up, you can see like the bits of old um, archaeological junk which they built Juliet's balcony out of later on. There's like oh, a great. sort of piled yes. piled up in. They got fantastic confection. Yeah. Because they had, I think they had like a big collection of sort of salvage that they weren't quite sure what to do with. Well, you see, the Germans did blow everything up as they left. Yeah. Oh, um, this was, I think... To, oh, this is before. This is yeah, before. This was, there, was, um, they, like, um, yeah, there was a flood and yeah, they also knocked down some things. Um, uh, that's it. Italy's yeah. got so much beautiful old stuff. They just yeah. have to bulldoze loads of it in order to get a road through or whatever. Yeah. Should we talk about the build? I mean, the, the, the yeah. building it's built in is sort of extraordinary. Yeah. Um, have you got a picture? I got some pictures. Yeah, you've got. You've um, got uh, we should have had this on at the beginning, we, really. This well, is we Carlo. Can, we can have. Uh, we can have Carlo, Carlo well. in some beautiful things. Okay, so it's a castle inside Verona. Yeah, it's built up in a number of historic stages. Yeah, it was originally built as a castle for what were they called? The family. Uh, the 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 Scalieri, the della Scalieri, yeah. yeah. Scal so they um were major. They were one of the big families yeah. in northern Italy, and eventually were based at this castle, um, which was used for them to control the city in a kind of colonial way. Yeah, it is uh, geographically. It's also quite close to the Alps, so it sort of has a slight kind of border condition as well. And this castle is looking across the river to the north. Um, so there is a sense also of kind of addressing a potential invasion, which could come from, from up there. A little bit. I mean, originally it didn't have a um, seaside seawall. It was just against. It was just yeah. built up against the city. Yeah. So it's the sort of um, occupation. Yeah. Uh, although it had the old city wall. One of those two walls is the old city wall. Um, and then uh, it kind of came various things i'm not really sure about what happened to it in the sort of 16th 17th 18th centuries uh, for a time i think it was a military academy as well there are, but i guess that's a bit maybe maybe yeah. that's later and then it's uh, this part is conquered in his fantastic campaign by napoleon yeah and he builds quite a lot yeah um he builds uh, a, a big barracks uh, uh, and 
encloses it uh, along the riverside and knocks down the towers and the crenellations and it becomes and um, puts modern fortifications in it and it becomes like a modern fort with a classical neoclassical barracks in it yeah and I think also the tower may have been, the main tower may have been destroyed and certainly the other towers were all leveled off and yeah. all the crenellations went. And the Italians did not like this, the, the uh, people of Verona. And all this time, the um, the bridge which is connected to it, which is a Gothic bridge, was private. Yeah. And at that point, it was a military-only bridge. And then after Italy is reunified, uh, it's taken over. They open up the bridge to the people and slowly try and restore it into a castle-y thing again. Yeah. Like a, like a gothic castle. They kind of rebuild the towers. Uh, they put the crenellation... I mean, rebuild the tops of the towers. The bottoms are always there. They put crenellations back on. And then they, t they turn the big barracks block into a mock Venetian palace yeah. with lots of bits of that uh, architectural reclamation from um, the various works that were going on in the city and turn it into a museum at that time. It's yeah, so it's the, it's the like museum of the city. It's the museum of the mm -hmm. commune. And um, the just to describe the layout of the building as found very simply, if you imagine it's like a big sort of quadrilateral um, fortification and it's got... Um, a kind of gatehouse going through the middle of it, mm. uh, so which separates it into two courtyards, one big and one small. And the buildings are mostly built up against the river side, so they're all up along. In, and when it's converted in the twenties into that mu municipal museum, that they became kind of like a sort of single big enfilade of spaces all joined one to another, even kind of going through the tower which separates mm. the two of them. Um, and uh yeah so we got um i don't know how much there is really to say about the various plans and things but we got um you can see in the the plans which existed of it uh before carlo scarpa got involved make it look quite rational lots of these little square rooms all joined together um and it's an i mean that the basis would be an academy style museum yeah. An old style museum, like the old bit of the National Gallery. You go through a succession of rooms which themselves are somewhat richly decorated um, and with walls with many, many things on them and large objects in the room. Um, and which I guess is based somewhat off a kind of grand uh, aristocratic house. Yeah. The sort of succession of rooms there, and the the, the kind of trade, you know, and, and and it's about this kind of treating the stuff as wealth, yeah, and, and a change in the general view of how uh, museums should be is definitely part of um, the organising principle of this work. Yeah, I think that there's something important to when you experience it now. Um, you have, I mean, one of the things which the design does very cleverly is to sort of make you feel the presence of this sort of historic, uh, of history and of the kind of historic part of the building. The good, the good bits of the history. good bits, but it, it feels very, very like present. It feels very, very like it's kind of 
perceived and sort of held and accounted it's for. all very truthy it's very true yeah exactly but one one of the things to actually know about the story of it is that this is quite stagey and the building has lots and lots of layers of restoration and kind of changing this yeah, like, all those, starting all the story again at the beginning stuff, that's all from that's all from the interwar period yeah and quite a lot of it's after then actually quite yeah. a lot of it's from the 40s and 50s yeah and then the i mean what the the, the building as it actually looked like the kind of Napo- napoleonic building yeah it's it's uh it's got like pilasters on it and it's super sort of pragmatic and um a kind of yeah and the whole castle was not done up in that style but like everything was leveled off and yeah. they put big artillery bits in and it was it did not look um there are photographs of the exterior and it's yeah. all it's the, the top is completely level yeah um so it's and and there are big gun emplacements yeah um i mean heavens knows what they'd be shooting at it's right in the middle of town yeah, well, they, been... they actually had um, on the other side of the river that bridge connected to another fort on the other yeah. side, which was a sort of French Vauban style, like pointy fort. Yeah. Um, which I guess where I guess they had bigger guns. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was. Um... It's, it's, yeah, this isn't a castle on the edge of. This wasn't even a castle on the edge of the medieval city. This is a castle that was. Yeah, it's, like, it's on the edge of the sort of. Just outside the Roman city, maybe, but yeah, um, yeah. Um, and then yeah, as you said, so there's a the first, I think the first director basically of that municipal museum in this building decided I mean, to do it. I up think in there the were two style. directors. Unless I may, I may be wrong about this, but yeah. there were two directors from the museum's creation in the twenties until like 1987. Good. Or something like that. Like 30 years each. Good, that's good. Or, good for institutional memory, yeah. I guess. Well, until getting close to the end, probably. Yeah. Scarpa took a particular view. Well, he took basically a dim view of these renovations and particularly of the this, like, faux-gothicised facade that they'd come up with. His critique of it particularly is that it's too symmetrical and that, that its falseness, its symmetry is really part of what makes it very false. And one of the things when he talks about his interventions, he talks about the need to introduce things to like make it less symmetrical and to kind of destabilise it and to make it more Venetian through doing that. And so um, we're going to... Which is funny because yeah. Verona only became Venetian quite late on and uh, uh, had its own sort of proud tradition. That... Yeah. But yeah. Here you go. This is a, this is a <laughs> piece of cultural imperialism, I guess. But um, the... I think it's a difficult to know how to talk about this building because it's very rich and very complex and there's an awful lot going on. I think our approach probably is that we're going to go sort of through the sequence of spaces as you experience them, but really just concentrating on some of the big interventions um, where he's made big changes and um, yeah. and the, what, the, what the effect of those is and how they kind of build a, a story. Here's one that's not very helpful for um, the people listening. But Richard Murphy, yeah. an architect, has done this book. It's, yeah. it's like uh, an inch and a half thick. Yeah. Um, just on this building. Nearly, four, attempt, nearly 400 pages. It's um, not a small book. Uh, in an attempt to uh, provide an illustration of everything in the building and what it means. Yeah. And I would say it's not that successful at weaving a comprehensive narrative because that's probably impo- impossible. There's too much. This thing is so bitty and 
it does exist as a whole place, but it is so much made of th- things, of moments, yeah. rather than being a grand sweep. You can't take it in no. at a glance. I um, think, yeah. In its, in its, I think one thing you can say is that um, there are very few buildings of which, within which you could like meaningfully consider making a building like this, a, a book, book, a book yeah. like this, which is um, basically going through every single room and talking about every single significant detail, showing all of the drawings and photographing them all. Well, not even many big buildings have that many different. Yeah. Play. I mean. You know, yeah, you could probably do it for the Palace of Justice, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, but... it would either be, for most buildings, either a very short book or a very boring one, or most likely both. Yeah. And whereas this one is no, actually it's... very interesting. This it's very of... interesting. And, like, I mean, we don't, it sounds a little bit like we're slacking it off. I think it's a great work of scholarship. Like, I really oh, enjoy yeah. going through it. But I wasn't um, meaning yeah. that he had... Uh... I was just meaning that the, the, the task of um, syn- synthesising something which is kind of limpid is yeah. kind of impossible yeah it's like a, 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 yeah um there's about a million things going on at the th- and yeah and they're not like no there's I... no clear organizing principles there are ideas but a lot of those ideas are things like disruption disruption you know i think the building as found actually was quite rational and had a quite clear diagram yeah. And I think nearly everything where he's intervened has been to break that up and frustrate it and turn it into this very, very complex and very layered story. Yeah. Um, lots of stumbling points. Yeah. You know, points where if everything meets your expectation, you can sidle through without absorbing very much. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of art or, you know, music is about the play of dissonance mm. as well as harmony, you know, something. Oh, uh, then you notice the thing that is not perhaps quite as you would expect it to be, and then you see how it fits into a whole. Yeah. It resolves itself at the second reading. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so cool. This one's actually got um, some stuff in it worth looking at as well. Yeah. <laughs> the what the book or the building the building oh, the yeah. building the museum yeah, yeah the museum, museum. Yeah, it's got a funny mix of things yeah it does have some great um some great art in it uh and also some less great stuff um, yeah lots of lots of um but but that's that's fine but... i think this is one of richard murphy's photos actually yes yeah. nice, um it's a good one where you can get you can see the whole of the front and you can see a lot of these significant interventions um so i guess we should... went to this one together yeah Ago. Yeah, have yeah, you yeah. been back since? I, I have not been back to this. No, it would be. I'd love to go back. Actually, it'd be nice. Yeah. Um, I've, I, there's lots of there's things I haven't seen in Verona. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I don't know. Should we? Maybe it's good just to sort of talk across like the front of the building and talk. About... Yeah. When we say the front, we mean the, the 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 face of the inside of the courtyard face it w- of the building yeah. which goes onto the river which has got most of the museum in it yeah yeah um which is not the outside of the castle vecchio no it's the which inside is, yeah. <laughs> the interior front of it yeah um so that the body of the the most of the body of the museum itself is in an l shape yeah um and the long side has the gothic windows i th- i'm not sure about if the short side had them but that yeah. bit was completely destroyed uh, in the war yeah. and was rebuilt. 
and in any case just has offices in yeah now so it's not really part of the um of the museum um and uh yeah there's like so in terms of breaking up the symmetry of that um the the, the like fake symmetry of that there's everything from he sort of rendered it but then cut out funny floating rectangles in the render is one thing and the render is which he uses both inside and out incredibly rough yeah super rough like um really has it's rusticated yeah more or less um and then across the facade there are um there's like you go in on the far right of it and then there are three other big openings which which open out and all of them are like blocked up or frustrated in some way um in they're certainly made uh they're certainly made to be different from being the same yeah they're given rather big rather greatly different treatments and none of them or well one of them is allowed to be a door mm. do we want to talk about the entrance or should we uh i don't think let's not go through this in too much detail there's too many things to go through everything i think we should yeah. just pick out a few moments and try and discuss what they are yeah, so I think the like we should talk about the ground floor are these big sculpture galleries. They're mostly they're mostly what you've got there, and um, the when you encounter them, you uh, they seem on a, a kind of first reading to be very like as found. They're sort of roughly treated. They have this sort of internal like quite rough render. They're sort of painted in this, or uh, their kind of finish is a sort of off-white, um, and um, there are these kind of untreated um, openings, like arched openings. It's certainly, it's certainly to be, it's certainly as foundy. Exactly. Yeah. The reality. <laughs> think, the reality is that if you look that, at it, even yeah. for five seconds, you f- see a lot of willful, like the yeah. wall isn't just rough; it's so rough. Yeah. It's. It's not rough to a level that is like quick plastering. It's rough to a level of intense roughness. Yes. Um, the the archways are not plain. They're monolithic. Yeah. To the point where this one that has come up here, it's a round archway. On the side that we're looking at, it's completely plain. It's just that the render on the other side, there is an arch. Yeah. And then the two sides of it have single huge slabs of stone which seem to have their smooth edge against the wall so that the outside is like the bottom of a paver. Yeah, yeah, Like yeah. just whatever was hacked out of the quarry. I mean, I don't think it's quite like that. I mean, the support story of these supposedly, again, this comes from Richard Murphy, in my case, is that one was laid on the floor as an entranceway and Scarpa came down and said, oh, lean it up against the wall to make the, end, the thing better. And then they made another one. Ah, okay. So that was uh, originally it was to be the um. It's a good way, good way to design. Yeah. Originally it was so they are. They're the rough bottoms of what would be a single stone to pave the way through the arch. Yeah. So this arch is in a massively deep wall. Yeah. All the walls, yeah, all the walls are very deep in this um in this building, and there are all sorts of games which are played with that. I mean, yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think I that was. I'm trying to remember what how I th- experienced it when we went round there. Yeah, obviously it is very artful, but I don't think I picked up when we went there that it originally would have that this is something where actually they've stripped out a huge amount of like w- wall painting 
and <laughs> and decoration like the interior of it was it was sort of lushly painted fake gothic mm. uh space though with like you know like painting all the way around the, the, which the is ceilings there were painted, are bits so. in this museum which are lushly painted real gothic yeah They've kept those bits. Yeah, he has all the Victorian stuff. He's absolutely well, no, the 1920s stuff. He's uh, like um, it's ex- been exterminated. Yeah. Um, no, you wouldn't know it was this, but you would know that the. In- I did have a sense that the interior had been completely stripped back, completely redone. Yeah. Um, I don't know the 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 kind of the roughness that seems to be channeling a kind of like primal original state. If you were building a monolithic stone tomb, it's not fake that you make it m- monolithic. Um, it's yeah. just... Uh, and it's only us reading it as timeless. Yeah. Um, timeless things can be new. Yeah. No, I think, I think it's... Uh, it's um... uh, and I suppose there's something in it which is kind of funny, which is that there are details of it which age. Yeah. So if the ground condition is really rough and stony, like a cave, yeah, there are bits which are like, oh, he set glass into concrete in a zigzag pattern, like a yeah. 1990s Chinese developer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of tastefully and well executed, but yeah. Uh, like. There are bits when the, not perhaps the grooviness, but the period reveals itself. Yeah. A huge square of, like, raw stone doesn't really have a period. Um, You can call that primal because it's literally something hacked out of the earth. Yes. Um, Rough render might have a period, but not really. Like, it's too inscrutable. Yeah. But when you get to finer details, you can kind of... There are tells, right? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, no. Um, I don't think we should dwell on it too much. I think the the other thing is that there is a sort of hovering floor. Yeah. Which is quite... Uh, it's got the same sort of canal around the edge detail that we yeah. saw in Quirini Stampali, but, also, much, but as a pure kind of decorative. Yes, making it look like it's a fitted carpet that hasn't quite reached the edges. Yeah. Um, and it's also this irregular like panels yeah so it's you know rough gray with are they stone yeah i think they're like stone framing with like 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 it'd be like curves but i mean flush you know and then and then rough gray panels in between which are of irregular size yeah um yeah the big thing that's been done on on the ground floor is there are these openings um, and they use his interventions into them use the thickness of the wall quite cleverly so obviously when you you it's like a big thick masonry building and the the sort of decorative stone dressings are on the outside edge of the wall so that you can see them um, and what he does is to set everything out to the inside edge of the wall so that they have this sort of separation between between the two of them um, and uh yeah so in one case you've got this this why well, i called it like a filing cabinet box a minute ago which george says is um 
misleading. It's definitely something. <laughs> it's like a. I mean, I know for you actually, yeah. filing cabinets are precious. Things. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, but, but it, uh, many people might not read them as quite as preciously as. But uh, this is—it's called the sacello, which is a derived from the Latin term for a funny little space or a chapel. <laughs> a chapel. Or yeah, yeah. Um, uh, which. It, it's got some of the oldest things in the collection in it, these kind of quite little objects, and they are... Um, Just a really beautiful round stone with a cross on it with yeah. some really cool lettering. Yeah. I took quite a few pictures of that. There's a yeah. picture of John standing next to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and, yeah, that's... I mean, that is, I find, like, a really weird intervention to have something like a tongue protruding out of what is clearly expressed still as a wall opening like the door has come it's, it's a bit I, like i think this whole thing is really clever and uh brilliant yes um and it's an idea that i think would come in stages and like now it seems completely natural actually but it's a a very um it, um i can like I just Looking... to, to say one thing for me it is like deeply and enjoyably perverse as a as yes. an intervention. I can make a very rational argument for it, but it's not one that I think I think it's one that makes sense with it existing, not yeah. not. My description would be so okay, you've got this really thick wall um with these big windows, big windows and doors that you don't necessarily need all of. He has then made what is almost like um, in the Quirili Stampalia, he puts the water barrier on the inside. Here he has put the kind of environmental barrier of the building on the inside of the wall. All the glass, yeah. and they are new glass frames. So uh, rather like with Alberti, you had the classical frame on the outside of the church and there's a Gothic frame inside. Yeah. Here you've got a kind of Gothic or Gothis, Gothic with a K frame on the outside. And then on the inside of this big wall, you've got modern frame glazing. Yeah, and that exists throughout the building. So rather like you've got the floor slightly offset, the glazing is kind of on the inside, and it's not, uh, and um, fits within this stuff, but it's very deliberately not the same. It doesn't try and follow the same geometry at all. It has vertical divisions which aren't talking to the old structure. They're they're separate, and they're meant to um, draw. Uh, if they are meant to make you look at the gothic framing at all, it is in contrast. Yeah. And then uh, in the enfilade, he has blocked the openings and so has the openings available. Yeah. For different treatments. They can be screened off, which he does in a kind of perverse way with a stepping screen. Um, and here... He's allowed himself to create a little smaller, more precious space, which is useful because it's at a different scale to the really big uh, scale of the museum for more precious things. Yeah. Um, and it's very, it's also special because it's massive. You walk in, you can see it's well lit, but when you come in, you see it's, it's got a glass roof. Yeah. Um, which you can't see because of the framing of the windows. So, he's able to create a little thing without disrupting the big thing. Yeah. And then outside, we have a photograph here of the outside of it. It's a marble 
box made of little squares with a bronze top. It's a cube. But next to it in that picture is what looks like a... It's a bathtub. A, but a, it's a... tomb. <laughs> and there are other bits, I think, of sculpture sitting um, in the courtyard. A couple. And there certainly are in lots of yeah. museums, you know, these bits of old old Roman sarcophagus or yeah. um, uh, bits of religious sculpture that are sort of rough or, you know, um, in... In Pisa, there's the huge Pisa sort of... But anyway, there are these stone objects, and it feels like one of them. Yeah. Uh, a precious stone object. So it sort of makes sense, making use of this opening to create an intimate space without disrupting the big space. Um, but it's a very strange and uh, great thing, and it feels very much like the marble architecture of Italy, which I am extremely fond of. Yeah. It's also got that thing, in a previous episode, you talked about um, the, like, fractal quality of or the kind of, like, hyper-architectural quality yeah. of a lot of Scarpa's stuff. And there is the thing of here, you've got, like, the big box of the museum, and then there is a perpendicular little box that comes off that. And then this um, yeah. marble sarcophagus is a smaller little box, which is then orthogonal again, uh, like perpendicular again to the smaller box. And then there is actually um, like a suggestion of a kind of water uh, spout that could come off the... Um, yes, and it itself is made yeah. of little tiny squares of marble. Yeah, and everything is kind of getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, There's a whole lot of other little interventions that he makes into the landscape around that we don't really have time to talk about, but which are sort of like other concrete walls and um, and uh, a kind of like descending. There's a whole new excavation and thing that they do in um, in one part of the um, one part of the grounds, which he then creates a kind of route down into and these sorts of things. And he did things like opening up. I think there were bricked up. There was a bricked up entrance yeah. to the wall, which um, I mean, stoned up, but yeah. you don't say stoned up, um, which was which was taken taken out and yeah. uh, gave a new way through. And he excavated the moat. Or I, yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't understand all these interventions. Yeah. Um, in a way, the purpose of many of the interventions is to seem like they were always like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which means it's not always easy to see. Uh, what's what? I find the gesture of blocking up the door but leaving a little bit at the top that you can still get light through is a weird intervention because who? what is the kind of person who would do this? This is like a developer cheaply converting a warehouse into bedrooms or something like that, like this, this kind of intervention. It has a really strange it has a really strange feeling about it and then the materiality of it is weird as well because he's made this sort of ground floor completely blank panel which is in black polished plaster facing outwards. So that's like an interior finish facing outwards into the garden. And then on the inside it's all sort of this like monolithic rough plaster which feels way more exterior. Um, and it's so constructed in so that the interior glazing is a bit bigger than the exterior opening so there's yeah. it, the like the interstitial space between <laughs> them is is the funny thing is because feeling. like 
fake is the wrong word, but the in, there's this arch on the inside, which is not a gothic arch, it's a relatively shallow. Yeah. Which is the arch of the building. Yeah. Uh, and then in the 20s, they put a gothic arch on it yeah. on the outside. Yeah. And then he's put a modern thing on the inside. Yeah. Uh, and they're both stuck on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no difference in them. It's um, it's very, it's very, I find it very exciting because um, some of the some of it seems yeah, so peculiar. Um, I mean, really well done. Yeah. Uh, one we should say so the like the really big statement intervention is that he demolishes one of the bays of the building, mm -hmm. which is the one. Uh, kind of in the middle of the overall plan so uh close to the tower and where you would cross over into the smaller courtyard and the other building and that is completely like removed uh he he also makes like a big cut into the outer wall facing onto the river so that there's a sort of opening going all the way down and then there's this very sort of strange and exciting series of ramps and passageways and stairways which bring you up and around and through you pass through this space multiple times and it's called it's referred to as the can grande space because it is has as its centerpiece a heroic equestrian stra uh, statue of this guy um can grande della scala who um is a big uh, 30, was, 13th century he was the man ruler. who um managed to finally comprehensively subjugate Verona <laughs> um, uh, and uh, is, is one of a line of um, his family who at one point controlled a lot of northern Italy yeah uh, but it's in a way they're like Canova head yes of this museum yeah like if you were thinking of the heroic age of this castle the good history yeah um, he is the organizing principle of the good history in the way that Canova is of the Canova Museum. Yeah. And his big statue is in this extremely prime, if rather interesting, curious place. Yeah. It's, as you say, he's not only demolished a bay, the roof is kind of been selectively deleted almost like yeah we're getting rid of some of the it kind of yeah 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 sawtooth <laughs> back and not sawtooth but you know it like it, it kind of jig jags in and out yes and uh, yeah it looks like the, like the covers. matrix sort of yeah going out of existence one of those kind of exploding axonometrics where all of the components slide together with remarkable ease to assemble the building in a computer yeah. animation yeah has only partially slid back into yeah. place yeah and the statue is also on a huge concrete cantilever yeah a big concrete l which is kind of like the plan of the museum yeah um and that jutting is, out which means that it can be viewed i mean it was originally on a, like a big plinth but it means it can be viewed both from below in this sort of heroic attitude although slightly at an angle he's put it slightly on the diagonal um or but also later on in the circulation you kind of get to see him at eye level uh it's, he's it's kind of funny he's like this it's he's, he's <laughs> really like a maniac it's a very weird i, I mean the thing 
I mean, it it's, was... It's given um, this wonderful treatment, like this incredible kind of ceremonial treatment, but as a statue, it's pretty I goofy. Think, <laughs> I think it's great. I think it's a great... Uh, I mean, he looks like... If it was just in the museum, I'd definitely take a photo of it because yeah. it's... He's grinning like crazy, yeah. like some jolly uncle. I'm sure he was a savage bastard. Yeah. Uh, like, you don't, you don't subjugate that much territory in medieval Europe without... Um, being savage uh he's got his funny like elaborate helmet like slinging off his back like it's bouncing up and down and his horse looks kind of goofy um his horse looks like a sort of cartoon giraffe or something and um yeah he's got the he i mean he looks to me like the laughing gnome or something he's got like his his little acorn hat and his big smiley face yeah Uh, but it must it's interesting to think what he was projecting because yeah um powerful and terrible you know warlord yeah interesting yeah uh behind him there's the there's a great wall which i think i don't know how much of the treatment of this is but i think it must have been scraped back yeah i imagine and it's one of those walls where it's like you get the feeling there's many ages it must be the wall of the city because it's too too much it feels like it's it feels a bit like the construction of London Wall. You know, there's bits of brick, big stones, little stones, irregular stone dress, you know, all these kind of things, which is a yeah. lovely texture. <clears throat> yeah. And then there's lots of scarper stuff all around. So you can see this is from our, our visit because there's so much rain falling in between the... Yes. The uh, viewer and the object being photographed. All my pictures have got, like, various members of... The cycling, 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 team. cycling fraternity, <laughs> yeah. uh, looking, looking. in um, <laughs> like neon uh, wear, weather gear. Yeah, very concentrating on the yeah. on the architecture. Beautiful details, lots of beautiful <clears throat> kind of bronze. Yeah, um, gates and sliding doors and balustrades. Yeah, um, it's kind. Of, I've, I it's quite hard to describe, and in fact, I can't really remember now how exactly the circulation works but you pass you know you're sort of going diagonally around at one point there are ways up and down onto the um onto the wall and onto the um and it also there's a bit where it branches off from the wall and you see this strange staircase like um what do you call it when it's like alternating staircase oh like sort of ship's ladder yeah, yeah yeah There's a diagram in Park K. Yes. How one of the incredibly rare occasions you're allowed to use. Yeah, it. you're allowed to only use it if. Um... <laughs> yeah. I can't remember. Anyway, that yeah. goes along to this really lovely long perspective. We see sort of the the notional bit where the the people defenders of the castle run along and shoot people, yeah. Yeah. Um, which isn't really part of the museum, but yeah. it's sort of things going off. Yeah. At, at funny mm. angles. And there's another big equestrian statue of another one of them. Yeah. On the, which is also cantilevered in a different way off the wall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, with oh. these like thin girders underneath it, which I can remember. Like, yeah. The whole thing feels like you're uh, in a platform in an excavation pit or something. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Very. I think this is up inside the tower. Yeah. It's a kind of partial... Um, yeah, it feels a bit like not the only one of his buildings where it feels a little bit like a level from a computer game of some kind, like the um, the, <laughs> the proximity of uh, like a place to fall or jump down or whatever. I think that's just because computer games like like 
complicated 3D environments, right? Yeah. Where you can look around. <clears throat> uh, and. Yeah. Also, like circulation. Computer games are all circulation. Yeah. Yeah, and and like spatial spatial narrative. Yeah, he does design like one facade of the building because obviously where it's been cut away. Yeah, he can do one of his own, which yeah, is yeah. very very. There's stri- bits of like proto Brion, like yeah. uh, concrete moving in all sorts of directions. Concrete, and then also Just... lots of hanging kind of wooden screens and things like like this. Well, that's that's. I think we're going to do a bonus where we talk about houses. Yeah. And you see these things coming coming through. He's been yeah. using those from the word go. Yeah. Also, he did get some some real groovy stuff. Or some yeah. Some real groovy yeah. bits. Yeah. Um, groovy moments. Kind of gorgeous. We haven't talked about how he presents objects. Yeah. And um, although it is sort of willful, it's the presentation of objects in terms of the museum is like some of the best, right? I think so. It, to me, it feels like, uh, yeah, it's very perceptive. And I think that he, he does project like a very sort of deep and genuine feeling um, sense of understanding the identity of the object and um, the its uniqueness and the particular way in which... Um, it might need to be shown to kind of maximise its uh, its effect and its sort of ability to tell its own story. And um, often he shows things in ways which tend to magnify a particular quality of them, whether that's their, if they're, you know, a depiction of a human to magnify their kind of humanity or their fragility as a thing or um, to make you feel very strongly like they're sort of, their weight and their materiality uh sensuality yeah it is it is i I, it's like it's all very sensual um i thought one of the aspects of his sort of general philosophy on design and architecture is uh, you know he's not like a radical political figure it's it's kind of it's sort of the bella vita yeah it's like um like caref like leisurely precisely observed sensuality yeah mm-hmm. um the bodily enjoyment of you know he's someone who liked good food uh but not only good food but the like attractive like delivery and presentation of food yeah and uh, there's that description of like having the 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 joint cut up in front of him yeah sort of this slow absorbing of of all of the moment, not just the kind of moment of eating, but all the moments around it. Yeah. The sensuality of the materials of the food. Yeah. And the approach to... Which kind of allows you to look around, right? This is all like looking around your whole life. I guess that's what I would... My interpretation of what the, the... the good life of Carlos Scarpa architecture is. Yeah. Um, and uh, the approach to the objects is to bring out their sensuality and to make you look around them. Yeah. Or to have at least the sense of looking around them. Yeah. You walk into a room of sculptures and one of them has got its back to you, but in having its back to you, you notice 
the, the back is flat because it is against something, but it has these beautiful folds, long yeah, folds, folds on the of cloth. fabric and the pigtails of the hair go right down the back, which is something he yeah. put out. Or the relationship between religious figures tells us a story. Um, in this one, there's a, a fantastic crucifix presented with a panel against it, a steel panel against it, and the with two saints flanking yeah. it. Yeah. Or in the uh, the earlier Sicilian museum project, there's a uh, I, f I forget names Messina. Is that the painter Anton Antonio de Messina? Yeah. The Messina painting um, of the Madonna and. Uh, which is on a, on another one of these like not a stone but you know uh feels like it's a rotating screen at yeah. an angle yeah and then you see the saints at the side and it has the character of kind of for some reason i imagine a child arranging all of the barnyard animals and the figures like, <laughs> making this story you know yeah mr higgins's pig but it's obviously about um about like a story which is about god in that yeah. case or, or like something higher but a very human thing of like these people yeah and their relationship um and i feel that's an unusual um thing to manage to create in uh, a museum of sculptures yeah i mean uh, most of these works are religious they are and i think so the the standard way to display the sculptures in the sculpture galleries is that they're on these sort of hovering very low plinths which are very shiny um and they have quite a lot of space on the plinth like the plinth is way oversized um and they i mean they are generally religious figures but they are displayed to you sort of at eye height so in a way which is not really true to probably how they would have been displayed um, in their original kind of architectural um, situation in a, in a, in a church. Um, and so I guess there is like a, a kind of a sort of latent humanism or something at work there, I guess, if you were trying to diagnose the, the philosophy. Um, and but it also you kind of you get I see it like arranging dolls. Well, but in the sense that. Um... In the sense that, I mean, the thing is, they're, they're all gorgeous. But you're not really meant to look into the Virgin Mary's eyes, actually, are you? You're, no, you're I know. That's why it's making it like level. a. That's why it's making it like a, like a but, figure. Like yeah. he suddenly made these figures into like people that are talking to each other. They are. They're like. They are. No, they're like people. I don't think this is blasphemy. I'm not sure I it's blasphemy, it's, but he's definitely he makes it's you pretty think. Pretty Vatican too, though. <laughs> yeah, he makes you think about them as people and as depictions of people much more than as. Um, uh, yeah, rather than as like sacred things. That's something I don't know. I think there's something wonderful about the Gothic, the body um, in Gothic art. I mean, Christianity is a very bodily religion, right? Christ is crucified, mm. um, and Gothic literally, art, literally, uh, yeah. Uh, and Gothic art is very bodily, and. Um, one of the really attractive qualities of of Gothic religious sculpture is often its incidental humanity, the imperfection, and uh, like they're not uh, in other periods of Christian art. Um, the people can be archetypes, or they can be archetypes that are not 
human. They are extra human. Yeah. Whereas the saints in Gothic art or the figures in Gothic art can be very human. They can be, yeah. Um, they're not all. But um, yeah. uh, bringing out that quality... Yeah, you're completely right. That's not how it would be presented yeah. in a church, but yeah. it fits the bill for something you can relate to immediately. No, I mean, I, th I think that it makes them intensely memorable. Like the face of that Madonna is very, mm. like, very, very memorable. This sort of uh, big nose. Yeah, you know, one eye is slightly higher than the other. Yeah. This is often the case with people. Yeah. Um, There's, um, I mean, the other thing that he off that he does is for like smaller works often to hold them in like a special little clamp or to kind of they're sort of supported as they would be in the hand of someone showing them to you so yeah. so that's the case there's a little um virgin and child i mean you what say is... a little clamp it's a little clamp in the sense that um it's, like... it's supporting a little ish sculpture but not that little but it's also a little clamp that seems to be made of like 12 mil steel or something more than that <laughs> I mean, yeah no it's not uh, it's not <laughs> it's a probably like like definitely 18 mil steel yeah. you know this is armor plate yeah <laughs> black finished lovely yeah, yeah, yeah. blacked and blacked. then yeah there's a whole there's a there, these the ones in this room are, are against a, a kind of panel of polished um plaster which is uh, off the wall it's got a real like um tasteful uh 60s book like uh, uh ancient greek vases and they've all yeah. got these like colored green red dark tasteful backgrounds yeah feels very i mean it gets away with it but it feels very 60s yeah um, um 60s 70s yeah and then i this mean it was done was this bit done earlier this side bit was that the first Something around there was the first thing he did. He was brought in only to do this. So there are different phases, and I don't totally understand the order of them. I think that the entrance part was done relatively early. Um, but there's the first thing that he did was they did an exhibition on the, an, a medieval painter who's... Uh, a renaissance painter whose name has gone out of my head but um but and there are bits of that which are are there still i think i can't remember if this is the early part or if this is the late part i think it was in this side of the building yeah but that would make sense uh so we're now uh, we're looking in all of this because i mean i yeah. don't think it had any of this render or stuff i think it yeah. was really much more an exhibition yeah so there's a, we're talking now about the building in the small courtyard, which you kind of cross over into. Um, uh, the circulation is basically you go through the big building on the ground floor and then you go up and then you go into the little building and then you go through the little building and then you come back across into the big building yep. again to finish off and come and exit from where you, um, from where you left. There's also, uh, in the picture we're just looking at, there's the, the kind of classic, um, one of his like classic sort of mysterious... Um, spatial hieroglyphs, the rectangle with the little rectangle on top of it, which sort of looks a little bit like a kind of cuboid snowman profile. Um, but it feels like, again, ancient tomb stuff, right? Like yeah, they couldn't, like they, like they could make massive pieces of stone, but they couldn't quite span the gap, and they wanted something taller as well. Yes, so they can corbel, but they haven't. They can't really do arches or. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like the uh, tomb of Theodoric, where it's you just get the feeling that. This this barbarian, 
come in and he, he knew that the Romans were very fancy, but he didn't quite trust these arches. So all <laughs> of them are like, all the stones are kind of locked in together. Yeah. Um, even though they would be locked in together anyway. Yeah. Channeling a little bit of kind of Mycenaean Lion Gate oh, energy yeah. Tolos, as well. Tolos tomb, the beehive yeah. tombs. Yeah. Um, uh, but you see also, I mean, the, to talk a little bit about the way he treats painting, which we also, we talked a bit about already with the... Um, uh, with the Bellini at Quirini Stampalia, but the, he he likes these very very light uh, easel kind of um, displays. Is one um, often things are displayed. I imagine he probably like stripped a, quite a lot of the frames off things. Don't you think? I imagine a lot um, of these yes. would have had frames. And some of the frames, some things have been put back a bit. I'm yeah. not sure if they have here, but in some of the projects. I yeah. think everything was a bit too unprotected. Yeah. He, loving the good life and wanting nothing to interfere with it, will never have a balustrade on a stair, a slippery, polished stair. Yeah. And he will have the painting exposed, frameless, hung from wires in the middle of the room. Yeah, which makes them makes you intensely aware of them <laughs> as like this very fragile, very precious, yeah. like really physical thing. It's not a pic- It's not like a, an image on the wall. It really yeah. is, uh, you know, it's a piece of wood which has voyaged through, you know, close to a thousand years to get here in many cases. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, it does, I think, I certainly find that it kind of powerfully affects the way that you read them. Um, this, there's this sort of, I guess, late medieval crucifix in the middle of the room at one point where you can see the back and the kind of wooden construction of it all and how kind of woodwormy bits that are holding it all together um and uh yeah i mean his favorite thing is to display where things feel like they're like gravitationally slightly in jeopardy as well yeah <clears throat> you know like um a painting hanging off one side of a of a iron bar or he's got at one point there are these very long sort of banner formats format kind of paintings very like long landscape long what well, i get to know what it would be like longer than 16 by 9 whatever yeah. the next ratio is one <laughs> but, to two yeah but with like um, <laughs> yeah one to two or one to three maybe yeah but um the way that they're displayed panel, is that there's panel, like panel long panel paintings yeah. there's a kind of um iron uh upstand in the room and then it's just spanning between there and the wall yeah and it's like really feels like someone inattentive could like walk into it and snap it in half by mistake but again yeah i feel like it is very effective because part of it is you really are kind of paying attention because you feel also we say these things are small and light but they're all like the frame is always really strongly the support structure is always really strongly visible yeah. Whereas quite often we just hide it, you know. Yeah. It's just sort of invisible. Whereas these are all you may have taken the frames off. Yeah. But they're mega framed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh we have in front of us a picture of two are they Bellini um Madonnas. Yeah, I think so. They're both Bellini. And they're they are uh framed like pages on a book, like a text on a book with um lovely wooden frame and then very fine and then dark kind of Prussian blue um, polished plaster panels 
which kind of make up the rest of the page of the book. Is it plaster or is this one fabric actually? Or is it fabric? I think this one might be, it almost looks like a kind of velour. Um, yeah, I don't kind know. of like velvet or something. I thought, I thought in my picture, I, I took almost exactly this picture. Can't remember. Um, it's got sort of fabricy looking finger marks on the uh, in one corner. Yeah, could but be. they're they're a little bit like um, a sort of display mount. If you're like mounting a print or something, where you have your kind of cutout in your museum board, and so they're they're sort of sitting behind this um, plane. It's pretty classy. Yeah, they look great, and it's very you know he has like a, he's good, got a good that painting. <laughs> those paintings on their own, yeah, would not be a mega draw for me. I'm like, very partial to Bellini. He's think, great. Yeah, very susceptible to these beautiful, sad-looking, oh, yeah, um, religious figures. But uh, and also, I love his like muted colors. I think this is a great. It's a great color with it as well. This like deep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Deep blue. And the wood's great as well. The whole. Yeah. The whole. Um, and the. The kind of. Book. Feels very manuscripty to me. Yeah, yeah. It's like where where people are really focusing on the proportion. Yeah, lovely thing. Um, what do you want to talk about? Do you want to? So we are, we're doing okay for time. I mean, do you think we've talked about the things that we ought to talk about for this project? If it seems like a mess, it is a bit complicated. Yeah. Um, it, this one also I think the Carini Stampalia is really a Carla Scarpa museum this is more than a Carla Scarpa museum mm-hmm. um, and it is a substantial it's a big castle in the city yeah um, it's one of the landmarks of the city um, it is an intervention within people would go to this even if there was no Carlos Scarpa like yeah. if it was just the old museum morphs yeah. uh, and some elements of it I think the sensibility that you would try and get away from academism and try and have something where walking through was more of a story yeah. I think that would have whoever did it would have attempted something yeah. on that scale This, um, I've not been to the Quirini Sampalia. Mm. The interventions here, to me, feel more um, like successfully integrated. Mm. And what I mean by that is, like, there are very willful things like the box. Yeah. But I can see why. I can tell myself a story of why it's like that that isn't quite so indulgent as he's cut out the corners because <laughs> cutting out the corners is a stony thing. Um, yeah, and in the, I mean, on the interior, that box feels way more logical. Yeah. And if it works very well as part of the sort of overall like display strategy for those objects, it's and, on, the, on the exterior, it feels very willful, yeah. And if I look at the, 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 the sort of, we have a picture in front of us of a, a, a glazing behind some, the, the big three arched opening and the, the middle bar that separates the opaque from the trans, transparent mm-hmm. kind of goes along, goes down, goes up. But I noticed that more on the second glance yeah. than the first glance. Yeah. 
um, I suppose the things that I find most pleasurable in his work are those that do not are not that 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 I can absorb without being without hearing an architectural critic in the back of my mind explaining it at least for some seconds, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you will always get bits where, oh, this is a beautiful like construction. And it's kind of we we didn't talk about the window, for example, where which looks over the bridge. Oh yeah. And he's put in a rectangular panel to block the view of the sixties blocks. Yes. On the other side, so you just see old building, and then the the medieval bridge and the timeless <laughs> river flowing by. But these quite inoffensive, like sort of cuboid six-story apartment blocks. Yeah. In the in the in the in the documentary, he like calls them these vile buildings. <laughs> and it's um, it's like putting that that uh, you know. A question statue in the centre, making yeah. it the heart. Yeah. Uh, this man created this castle. This bit... horrible bastard warlord. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Succeeded in subjugating the city as a mo- motive engine yeah. for history. And this is a building which is history. Yeah. Uh, and timeless. Yeah. And um, I think it works really well, even if. It's hard to have a memory of the whole. Yeah. It's also nice that you're dragged around by looking at beautiful artworks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. uh, I think it's significant. It's a very rich source, Scarpa Architecture, and it's kind of nice to have some other things mixed in. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's, it's, it's different because... The context is so much bigger than it, and because the, there is so, m- like in the Querini Stampalia, it does. He almost doesn't really intervene that much into the program. Like he makes the the like entrance sequence and the sort of um, shared communal space work a little bit better, but uh, they're almost like separate, separate, uh, separate worlds. I think it's significant that this is still. Although it is a hugely visible urban monument, it is still a uh, like a his, his part is like a hidden world, like it's the inter, it's the internal garden, it's mm. the interior it's the interior world, um, and to the extent that it appears on the outside at all, it's in a really like bunkerish way. These sort of cuts in the um, in the blank uh, sort of fortification wall and that kind of thing. It's not, um, yeah. There aren't that. There are some examples of places where his architecture, like, exists in this outwardly visible public context, but they're not very many of them, um, and they're not super convincing. I think it kind of has to. You have to kind of go travel over the rainbow, I think, to like get there. It's not. It's um. It does sort of seem to need to exist in its own little universe where all of the other laws have been suspended. I don't know. That's might be yeah. maybe a bit over the top, but I think there is something there. No, I think that's right. Um, another thing. So many of the projects have kind of elaborately prepared gardens. Yeah. But I don't feel like I'm like tasteful enough or clever enough to 
comment on them <laughs> properly. Yeah. Uh, they're often... Um, he likes a big lawn and then a path in the lawn. Yeah. And then another sort of lighter path coming off the path and a couple of sculptural objects and paths of water where the water is very thin mm -hmm. and very close to a very thin edge such that it's almost inlaid upon stone. Yeah. He quite likes matte collections of leaves. I suspect he was... He must have been working with someone through the gardening, but, you know, borders of periwinkle, even patterns of climbing... Um, like of vines where the leaves are of all a certain forming a, like a rough texture. Yeah. So that so that the plants themselves are like textured patterns. Is it a box hedge or some sort of um, evenly cut hedge in the uh, Castelvecchio, um, uh, which kind of is like geometrically conforms in the manner of the rectilinear paths and paths of water. Um, but I don't think I could do about gardens and uh, no, no, no. Houses. I think <laughs> there is this other like reference point, which I think maybe will come in a bit more in the later in the the last projects that we're going to talk about in um, future episodes, which is like Japan and his impression of Japan is another is a big is a big thing that. Uh, is sort of coming in. I mean, I don't think he. I think I don't think he visited Japan until right at the end of his life. Um, and um, uh, until yes, where you know where he had his fatal encounter with the staircase. Um, but but I think he had like consumed lots and lots of images of it. And I think it's sort of uh, it's coming into a lot of the way that he likes to design. In the garden of the Queen Stampalia. Yeah. is as the 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 minor path coming off the major path is l-shaped stone stepping stones mm. which and that feels very like a transmutation of the stones in a kyoto temple garden mm. yeah something. um and also the uh, very plain beds yeah uh they're not like japanese gardens yeah. um they're not like Italian formal gardens either, but they have something of both of those things. Yeah. Uh, the water, the framing, but where the Italian ones would be symmetrical. Yeah. And uh, deck and uh, highly like elaborated, um, or at least somewhat highly elaborated. Um, these are asymmetric. Yeah. Um, and nature is not allowed to or the idea of nature is not allowed to intrude as much as it would in the, the Japanese gardens. Yes. I wondered if we... I just had one or two other things to say about the drawings, because we were going to look at... We could just look at yeah, a couple I, of them I, from the... I've got... There's a lot my, there. They're, I think my, they're difficult for audio. <laughs> I've got my uh, um, book of all of the... So the... I think actually for both of these museums, um, the museum bought all the design drawings Uh at, like relatively shortly after the project was um, either shortly after the project was done or at, at Scarpa's death in uh, 1978, and so they kind of have this whole collection, which I think is a very good, a very good um, thing. 
we're looking at a, yeah an elevation from the inside of one of those um, sort of screen interventions into one of the ground floor openings. There are obviously lots of different things going on. I th think he's using one of the things which he's doing is he's using the flat two D drawing, but coloring it to simulate sort of visual weight and transparency is a thing which I think he does quite a lot. Like he uses like a little bit of shading and he tries to think through the interaction between these sort of thicker stone elements, which are going to be a little bit further away. And then these narrow, really sharply defined metal or timber um, framing elements, which are going to be like in between. And you can see with the way that he's colored things in and the like weight of the pencil and stuff like that, he's really, he's, this is a sort of like rendering test i think of that um um but also lots of other things are happening at the same time i think when he was at the academy i think um all the art school shared the first year mm. and then progressively specialized yes so architects well firstly you didn't have a special uh, specialism when you started yeah and everyone started the same and people peeled off, which is very different to contemporary architectural education. Um, and would start with the product being drawings and paintings and um, small scale works. And in a sense, that is a mode which he... And he didn't finish. He didn't pass his degree. Oh, no, I think he did. Or... In He passed his degree, but there was a change to the regulation of architects after the Second World War. Yeah. And he didn't want to do the exam that they yeah. asked you to do. That's why he his his uh, qualification lapsed. Yeah. That's, um, that's why he's known as professor. Yeah, <clears throat> because he was very quickly a professor. Yeah. And... But I also, I don't think, part of the reason I think there aren't lots of people working in the office is because the sets of drawings that those lots of people are used for and are used to assist in the production of don't exist. Yeah. I don't think any of these, I don't think either of the projects <clears throat> we talked about today would have a tender package. No. That would, that would draw everything <clears throat> in one go and would put all the, I don't, I'm not even sure if they had principal contractors. Yeah. No, I think I think the way that he liked to work was to work directly with a set of different specialist contractors mm. who were doing the different bits of work, um, which I think is a wonderful way to be able to work. Like so much of the way in which architecture is... Oh, this is living the dream. The, yeah. Really? <laughs> like, what would be the nicest thing ever? You walk in and you say, I want a door there. <laughs> I'll give you the... I'll, I'll, I'll sort of mark out where it's going. Yeah. You can make the hole. While you make the hole, Yeah. I'll... I'll draw up the edges and um we can buy a door yeah no so much of the way in which architecture is designed now is like working backwards from how can we stop everyone from suing each other like and it's uh it's not yeah i mean it's um it's not yeah it's, but i mean it's not even you... that it's also the like we need to produce this massive you're really not designing with the th you're like designing off completely off the drawings yeah um, the drawing, the orthographic drawings are, I mean, now they're often literally computer models, but they have always been tending towards 
um, being a kind of algorithmic model of the entire building as it exists. Yeah. Which is very different to being in a place and sort of being able to measure everything up by eye. Yeah, yeah. And to and, to and building with experience on it. The, the process of design is kind of separated from the place as well. Yeah. Yes. Or well, there's this... Um, there's this nice one we're looking at, which is a sort of three-dimensional drawing through a threshold with um, uh, where he's sort of colouring in the different floor tile colours and then also yeah. showing the, like, different datum levels of... I guess these are the levels in centimetres that he's showing. So this one is plus 10, this one's plus 2. Um, and, yeah, just kind of... I mean, he's always sort of testing and explaining at the same time, I think. There's... Uh, yeah. Um, it reminded me a little bit of... Uh, John Stone did some construction drawings that were like that were like the Gandhi paintings in perspective. Mm. Where there, there would be sketch paintings where they would show every, how everything was going to be down to like... You'd have bits where you could sort of see the bricks. Mm. Which were obviously much more neat. But that thing <clears> of doing a sketch which then shows... It's a sketch, but it's showing construction details. Yeah. Um, and uh, the non-written dimensions are defined by things that are information that exists, the, the realities of the site, and if not there, then in another drawing. Yeah. But it, this would be sufficient for conveying some construction information. Yeah, because everything... Because you can actually like, see how it fits together anyway. Everything in this drawing, if the opening is already there, which I think it is, and um, then you have kind of all of the information that you really need, probably. Yeah. Like, if you were someone who was already working on this and you, you know, you kind of understand that that little uh, thing around the edge of the room is a standard. Yeah. That's a standard detail. So that width is already understood and... Yeah, you you would be able to understand everything you need to actually set out the design in this area from this little yeah. sketch. It's all there, but you've got to have a very specific sort of and rare kind of relationship to make that work. Or well, then I'm looking. This at, was also all pretty slow, right? Yeah, I think it was very slow. Um, yeah, yeah. If you've got that much time, yeah. Yeah, that was something I thought with like. Yeah, Rem Coolhouse with the Zeebrugger. Is it Zeebrugger? Which one? The, the, the big, hotel the big... on the water in the shape of an egg. Yeah, the big egg, yeah. Inverted Babel. I thought something he missed of that when he said you could make this in four years with however many people, you can make it in 30 years with four. <laughs> yeah. Um, is he missed the point that, like, wouldn't it be... Wouldn't you have a different sort of design if you were making it in 30 years with four people? Wouldn't that offer up a different sort of potential? Uh, not for him, I don't yeah. think, because that's not how his brain works. But um, this is a, if not a thirty-year project, it's, it's that sort of thing made of little elements. I mean, some of the little elements are pretty big, but yeah, good stuff. Yeah, very nice. Very much worth a visit. If you're in that part of the world, you can skip Juliet's balcony. It's fake. What? 
I mean, Unless you like that kind of thing. Sharpened stuff is fake too. <laughs> fake is a relative term. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the Juliet's balcony is probably like even more um, perverse than anything that Scarpa would do. This thing yeah. I'm her am I to judge what is more perverted? Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, I guess we could kind of leave it there, couldn't I we? I think so. Yes. I think we will. I guess the next one we will deal with death. Right? We will deal with death, and um, the th- on my to-do list for the next one, I want to deal with death, and I want to deal with symbolism. And oh yeah, and the kind of I'm glad we've resisted it. The kind of Scarpa language, yeah, because I feel like that's um, it's too obvious in yeah. a way. I think if we do it at the end, I feel like we've earned it more. Yeah. Well, what's going on? Who is this strange little man who keeps appearing in doorways? Or what are these yeah. mating circles? Yes. Um. All these uh, little kind of inscribed squares inside squares yeah there's lots of stuff which is like okay this has been put here for a symbolic purpose yeah but symbolic what does it mean the more you scrutinize it yeah the more it is ambiguous yeah like um yeah it's kind of like the dark souls approach to uh uh, to narrative (laughs) expand that a little bit (laughs) well it's like didn't he say I haven't really played it, but didn't he say uh, he he grew? I've forgotten the name of the designer, but he grew up playing like Western RPGs like Baldur's Gate, but like all in English, where he couldn't read it because he was Japanese. Yeah. So his sense of the plot was incredibly vague, but more yeah. powerful because it doesn't have the bathos of all this crap text. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the approach is like to not to really tell anything. Like something yeah. is going on, you don't know yeah. what it is. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of mythic, but yeah. if you examine it, there's no sense. Yes. I don't really. I think know. that is powerful. I don't, I don't I really know powerful. about the computer. I don't really know about the computer. But the computer I just, game. You were, you, yeah. I felt like I had to maintain my credibility against. Uh, yeah. No. I think that's a good. That's a good. Uh, good point of reference. I think the um, we're going to experience some quite kind of computer gamey environments in some of the final buildings as well. We uh, feel like we're definitely. Yeah. Although they might be putting cart before the horse. <laughs> yeah. um, they are free design environments. Yeah, unconstrained by um, any requirement for anything. Anything. <laughs> yeah, um, you need one or two boxes. Yes. Everything else, everything else is um, symbolic potential. Yeah. Great. Well, cool. thank you very much for watching slash listening. Um, remember that you can support the show on our Patreon, which is at patreon.com slash about underscore buildings. There are links on our website. And um, you can also follow a very well-curated stream of social media content, which will... Well done, um, Matt. Yes, we will reinforce, much better organised than any other aspect of the <laughs> of the show. Um, uh, our handle is about underscore buildings in all the usual places. Um the show is edited by Matthew Lloyd Roberts. And yes, we'll be with you again very soon. Or Bye-bye. moderately soon. <laughs> <laughs>